Will Hardy, Justin Zanuck, Danny Ainge give the end of the oppressor and reveal a little bit of where this team is going. Plus, Brian Bailey joins us for a playoff preview. It's all next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke. It is the 13th of April, and it is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Today, Will Hardy talks about why he thought the zone was important. He'll also give us insight on what he wants out of Walker, Kessler, and Ochai Abaji, and a unique take on development. Danny Ain't Justin Zanuck summarizes what we knew about the whole season. One player they clearly believe has made progress, and will look as well as what Danny Ainge has to say on and what made Will Hardy unique. Then Brian Bailey, Jazz assistant coach, will join us to preview the West and the East of the NBA playoffs. Unique perspective of somebody who's actually done the scouting reports for a bunch of these teams in the game. As I mentioned, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen. Thanks so much to all the everydayers out there that are a part of this program. I know who you are, and I appreciate you immensely. Read a bunch of your comments. In fact, in the YouTube section, give me a little, give us, give yourself a little shout out as an everydayer over on the YouTube side. Uh, and I'll give you a shout out back tomorrow as we have an Ask LOJ edition of Friday's show here on uh, that. We are free. We are available on every single podcasting app as well as on YouTube. Join the community. Follow, subscribe, hit the bell button so you're notified when we're doing something. Be a part of the Locked On Jazz YouTube community with all the other everydayers as well. Thanks so much for making us your first listen. All right. Uh, so I wanted to just walk through... Uh, Brian Bailey, nice enough to join me. Super great guy. One of my favorites. Um, and then a uh, great coach, too. We'll see. Hopefully he stays here, but he might get picked up. He's he's an up-and-coming, rising great coach. Um, so hopefully he's back because I love Brian Bailey. Um, but we'll see. Anyway, um, Will Hardy talked about um, that really was pleased with the progress, continual growth, unemotional analysis. I thought it was interesting when he got to Walker. He talked about how he has to get stronger, not bigger. I love that. I think too often we kind of change guys. That's what happened to Lowry in Chicago is they tried to make him uh, bigger, make him into a center, make him play a different game, kind of screwed him up. Um, the other one that I thought was really, really interesting from Will Hardy was that Will Hardy talked about how a player came to him with six things on his list and asked Will to organize them. And Will's to say, most of these players know exactly what they need to work on. And Will grabbed the list and wrote down one and two, and then wrote seven, eight, nine, and ten. In other words, trying to get better at everything, Will Hardy said, is dangerous. And what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to focus on your one or two things that are going to make you better. And then over time, you can maybe work on those other things. But if you get those one and two things, everything else will get pretty close. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, he revealed that in Summer League, we will see Ochai Abaji, which I was a little surprised at, but his viewpoint is it's live game action and these guys should play. He did mention that we'll see Lukas Samanich as well in Summer League. 
we have Salt. He mentioned that there's a Salt Lake Summer League and then into Vegas. So that's the official, first official time I've heard someone reference the Salt Lake Summer League, which is great. Um, usually right around July 4th, kind of taking July 4th as a day off usually. Uh, I haven't looked at the July calendar. Um, and then I thought this, I asked him about what he learned about the zone and he thought it was impactful to changing the rhythm of the game that where we are right now in the NBA, the offenses are so good that if you don't, unless you're really elite at, at the way you're doing something, you've got to change up the rhythm. He talked specifically about Denver and Sacramento, how he got them out of doing the number one thing, uh, they wanted to do, but he'll go back and watch all of the zone. I'm giving you this quick overview. There's deeper conversations here, but Angels, uh, but Will Hardy met with media yesterday, Justin Zanuck, and Danny Ainge did. So I wanted to do this in the first segment today, and then we'll get into the Western Conference breakout with Brian Bailey, and then the Eastern Conference preview as well. Uh, I thought it was interesting. The first thing Justin Zanuck said before the media said a word was it was a season of discovery, and to me, that's consistent what they've said the whole time. To me, that's what's been impressive about the front office is that they never wavered from that. They stayed on that the entire time. So that it was a season of discovery. We talked about Lowry's isolations earlier this week. If you're one of our everydayers, you heard that show. If not, it's back, I think, on on Monday or Tuesday, probably on Tuesday, in which we talked, you know, his suddenly, we changed the way he was getting the ball, made him do things, didn't do his isolations as well. You learn that. Um, Late in the season, we learn more about certain players. um, And... In the, the quest was discovery, not victories. And I think that was clear. If we got victories along the way with discovery, that was fine. But it was quest for discovery, not victories. And I think that was a telling moment uh, there. The other one I thought was interesting um, is that they really do believe they found something in Chris Dunn. At least that's my takeaway. Um, that he remade his game, defensive mindset, teaching the young kids that... That he got mentioned, he got mentioned early and often um, on Chris Dunn, and then I thought an interesting comment from Justin Zanuck: "You don't have to have young players at the end of your roster." So my conversation yesterday was 26, 36, 46. That would lead you to believe that they're willing to try to push a little bit. Um, that we can have young players on the roster, but we don't have to have young players in the end of the rosters. So then you're trying to have veterans who know how to play. Um, in more spots in your roster. I thought that was interesting. Uh, important, they mentioned Kelly Olenek. Sounded like they would re-sign Kelly Olenek. I do think, I, I suspect Kelly Olenek, uh, my, you know, my guess on our season next year, which may be dead wrong, was that we saw, have some sort of point guard we had, and then we're developing some sort of younger point guard we draft, and that we have Kelly Olenek, we're draft developing some sort of younger guard there, and then we end up with four guys that are first or second year players playing. And that's why... I thought maybe 26, but it sounded like maybe there'd be a little bit something different um, in regards to that. Danny Ainge commented that we were a bad shooting team um, in the second half of the season. We were 29th in the league in shooting, so that's not uh, earth-shattering, but that they have to add shooting, so we'll keep an eye out in our discussions about that. And defensively, they need to improve. Um, I thought what was really interesting is Danny Ainge threw water on the cold water on the start a little bit. He said, hey, in 15 to 20 of our early games, we didn't play the first or second best player on the other roster. We'll have to go back and look at that. And it was tough all year and league-wide to evaluate because of the amount of individuals that were missing games. Um, so I thought that was an interesting comment um, from Danny. Um, you know, that there were just a lot of key guys not playing. And it, it really, it tells you a little bit that maybe the, they... 
they weren't as sold on that great start, meaning as much as some of us did when they started analyzing it with a bet with a fine-tuned comb and saw who was playing and who didn't. I haven't looked back at that. Um, well, they were asked about what made Will Hardy unique. Their comment was this sense of self, what the job's about, that he's just a great partner and he's helping everyone get better. Justin Zanuck called coaching a calling. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then I thought this was a super interesting comment from Danny Ainge. I mean, this is really, I'm just throwing all of it at you at once. He said, Walker was good, good because he was surrounded by good players. He only had to do what he had to do. He did what he did well. That doesn't uh, all of a sudden make him a great player. So I thought that was a little bit throwing cold water on Walker a little bit. Um, from not in that he didn't have a great year, but that we're all so excited. But he's basically saying, yeah, he was in a small, confined area, not being asked to do a lot because he's around really good players. And now the next step is, can he actually be one of the really good players? Um, and then their biggest comment, I thought they said late, was you can't rush and you can't panic. Um, but I did get the feeling that they're, I, I really left with a confusion on 26, 36, or 46. Um, that I, I left with a little bit more feeling that maybe they'd be willing to go to 46, but I still just think the world tells them 26. And then, you know, there's a whole analysis. You, you're probably better off getting out of the bottom 10 and letting your draft pick go you, to Oklahoma City. It's a sunken cost. You're not going to try to hold on to it for three years. You're going to lose it at some point. So you're probably better off getting good and moving past that um, and then moving on with your team. And you frankly will have had three to f- four to five young players already. You probably don't need um, any more than that. All right, Brian Bailey, jazz assistant, super great guy, um, really bright basketball mind. Very, very good. Actually, he would have a career in media. He's very good at kind of concisely telling you what's going on with teams. And we get really Xy and Oe in this preview. It's a pretty cool preview, frankly. And it's coming up uh, for you next. Thanks so much uh, for listening to Lockdown Jazz, making your first listen to you every day. Or is out there? Give me a little shout out on the YouTube thing. I'll, I'll, I'll find you. Uh, I'll give you a shout out back. I appreciate you immensely. Uh, I know who you are. But uh, we, we've all been doing this for a long time together. Today's show is brought to you in part by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. And it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to be just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right. That's the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and eBay Motors and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. How great is that? Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. And when you shop in eBay Motors with over the 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. I love this. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I love the fact that the Let's Ride is in there and the Nuggets fans, have, Nuggets show, has to like mention, like, that's in the script. We didn't say that. We're not becoming Russell Wilson. It's pretty funny. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. Get into the action. Whether it's Major League Baseball or it's the NBA playoffs, whatever it might be for you, there's an opportunity for you to get the no bets first bet up to one 
$1,000. Go to FanDuel.com, sign up, place your bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. So, from a baseball standpoint, a pitcher's over on strikeouts, Aaron Judge home run, build a favorite matchup of the day. From the NBA standpoint, get ready for the playoffs with over-unders and all and points scored and all the rest of it. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of LockedOn, the official sportsbook partner of Major League Baseball, as well as the NBA. It's all part of the no-sweat first bet. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Like, what will Donovan do in his first playoff game this year? Put a bet down on it. And have some fun with FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Brian Bailey, Jazz assistant coach, joining us. He was so great to be with us throughout halftime. He's got great insight. He's been, he had the scout, which means you do the game plan of multiple of these playoff teams. And so I thought we'd get the coach's perspective of the upcoming playoffs. So, Brian, thanks a ton for joining us. Uh, playoff basketball is super different, so that's really why I wanted to get your perspective. I think you have a different one on it. Um, we're recording this before the one eight matchups. It really might not. Those traditionally don't matter that much um, in the sense that one is a superior team, but let's start with the West. We do have the Lakers now set against Memphis. No Brandon Clark, no Steven Adams in that matchup. Memphis is really an interesting team to me because they live by the offensive rebound. They live by transition. They're not a great half court offensive team. Those are not generally great scripts. They have an incredible coach in Taylor Jenkins. Um, what's your thought last night as you saw the Lakers get by Minnesota and, and, and they're matching up against Memphis? No, I, I really, I actually thought uh, Minnesota was going to pull the game off. Obviously, you know, Lakers made a flurry comeback, you know, towards the end of the game. But uh, just going in, I think obviously not having Steven Adams and Brandon Clark definitely hurts Memphis, you know, especially inside against Anthony Davis. Um you know, they're left with Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman to battle down with him. Uh, and I don't think those guys can guard him one-on-one. So you probably will see a lot of double teams on Anthony Davis in that series. And if I'm the Lakers, I'm, I'm actually going to play through AD, um, you know, most of the game just to generate shots, generate open looks for other guys. Um, so I, th- I think that's going to be the big problem for Men- Memphis, just containing Anthony Davis. It's interesting to me, the Lakers, since the trade deadline – Everyone talked about it as though it was an offensive pickups, right? With Rui Hashimura and Malik Beasley. They actually were the number one defensive team in the NBA after the trade deadline. And they were only, I think, 19th offensively. What is making them so good defensively? And how does that impact Memphis in the half court? No, I mean, obviously, you know, adding Jared Vanderbilt is a hustle energy guy. You know, guy that's just out there hustling. You know, you can put him on different matchups. You know, he can guard, you know, wings. He can guard bigger guys. So, He's, he's definitely helped him. Hachimura is obviously a big wing type who's got length, you know, on the perimeter. So those guys have definitely helped, you know, the Lakers, and especially, you know, the defensive rebounding aspect. You know, if you can, you know, grab those defensive rebounds and limits teams, second chance points, that all always helps. When you look at what do you think is is the ability of Memphis to guard AD the key thing to you in that series? Is What is their – and, and what is your feeling? Like, what is the item in that series that you think, or is it the fact the Lakers are actually not a very good transition defensive team tr- this season and Memphis loves to get out and go? What's the thing that sways that series in your mind? No, I, I think I've, I think it's going to be the Lakers' transition defense is going to be a big aspect of them winning or losing the, the series. Obviously, if they could limit uh, Memphis' transition points and force them to play a half-court game and really slow the game down, 
um, that'll be beneficial for the Lakers. So if they can make it a half-court series the whole game, I think Lakers will come out on top. I've always believed that, like, offensive rebounding should go away a little bit in the playoffs when everyone's focused every possession. Turnovers should go away a little bit in the playoffs when everyone do – you, do you agree with those things? Is that is that a fair assessment that that's where playoff basketball changes a little bit? I, I think it does. You know, like you said, the game does slow down. And just being able to play through someone like Anthony Davis or LeBron James, just having a guy you could just kind of, you know, slow the game down, give the ball, you know, space the floor, you know, kind of control the tempo of the game. You know, that's beneficial to those teams. Uh, Memphis generally doesn't have a person like that. Uh, obviously, John Morant is really good in the open court and, you know, gets going flying in transition. He's not a guy you just give the ball to in half court and just kind of, you know, say, go to work. All right, Sacramento, Golden State. So interesting from a coaching standpoint, right? Mike Brown versus Steve Kerr. Sacramento lives by the handoffs. I think they like run 10 more handoffs for 100 possessions than any other team in the NBA, and they almost double the league average. Yet that's actually how Golden State kind of made their living originally with Draymond and the handoff. They've moved away from it a little bit. Give me your kind of initial thoughts on Sacramento-Golden State. I think that's going to be a really, really good series. Um, You know, obviously, you know, Sacramento this season had a really elite offense. Um, you know, hopefully that for them, that can keep up in the playoffs. Obviously, playoff basketball intensity is a little bit different, but their offense is really good. Um, I think what we did when we played Sacramento, kind of, you know, some of our zone possessions kind of limited their ability to run a lot of handoffs. You know, I don't know if Golden State, you know, implements that at all, you know, throughout the series just to take away Sabonis' handoff action. But I think for Sacramento, it's going to be their ability to defend just, you know, a lot of screening actions, obviously, with Steph and with Clay Thompson out there. Um, neutralizing those guys. When I watched Golden State this year, the one concern I had when I watched them late game was they used to run Steph on all those little circles around, you know, the thing, and they used to run all this. And it didn't feel to me in the regular season like they got a lot out of that the way they used to. And it forced them into more traditional pick and roll or even Clay Thompson, Steph Curry isolation, which as great as those guys are, that's not their strength. Do you think teams have just seen that so much? Do you think that was just regular season? What do you think Golden State's able to do offensively as their go-to in this series? Well, I, I think, like, Golden State this year, obviously they've had a lot of injuries, some guys missing times, uh, some time. So that that kind of hurt them just being able to gel throughout the whole year. Um, I think just in terms of their actions, I, I think the screaming actions are going to be there. That's their bread and butter. You know, teams have seen it a lot, but, it's really hard to game plan for, you know, Steph and Clay, especially when they're both on the floor at the same time. And you add a guy like Jordan Poole, you know, could come come in and fill a similar role as Steph and shooting the ball really deep. But I, I think those actions will come back in the playoffs and uh, they'll be better. I, hopefully I don't give you PTSD here from a game two years ago in <laughs> April. Um, but their handoff, Golden State's handoff game is particularly good if you want to play a drop big or if you're forcing your big to come out, as we saw with Clay Thompson in the second half comeback against the Jazz two years ago. Sabonis yep. wants to stay back, right? He doesn't want to come out and be switching. What does Sacramento do about Clay and Steph coming off Draymond handoffs and Draymond's actions or Looney actions where Sabonis is engaged? Well, I think, you know, Sabonis, a lot of times he's sometimes he's dropped, sometimes he's super aggressive. I think they're going to have to mix up their coverages. and You can't play one coverage the whole game because obviously Golden State will get used to that coverage. So I think he's going to have to mix it up, you know, sometimes being up, sometimes being back. A lot of times they might have to, you know, switch and then try to, you know, blitz or hit a double team, whoever has the ball. So I think they're going to have to mix it up throughout the series. 
Phoenix and Clippers. Phoenix is everyone's answer when you ask them out of the West. I think it's because they're really good. I also think it might be because we just haven't seen them enough. And we know the warts of every other team in the West because the West is a little warty right now. Like, I think there's three teams in the East that we all think probably are capable of winning. I'll be interested to see in the next segment whether you think Philadelphia is. I know you had them as a scout, so you have some great insight on them. Um, But I do feel a little bit with Phoenix. We just haven't seen them, so we don't have the warts. Like, we kind of know what's wrong with Denver. We know about Memphis's half-court offense. Sacramento was unusually healthy, and they don't have the experience. Golden State's just been off. Clippers don't have Paul George. So we've all just decided that Phoenix is the favorite. But in that sense, what is it that makes Phoenix the team that everyone just kind of instinctually looks at and says, oh, that's real? Well, obviously, the addition of Kevin Durant, you know, kind of took them to the next level. And then you look at somebody like Devin Booker, who has an outstanding year. He's averaging 35 and five, you know, you know, towards the end of the season. And he's their second option. So, you know, obviously going to the Phoenix, you know, throughout the year, you, you're game planning for Devin Booker. You're throwing double teams at him. You're throwing blitzes at him. And he's still scoring 30. Um, it's going to be hard to do that with Kevin Durant, you know, on the court. And then Kevin Durant's a guy that you can just kind of throw the ball, you know, through two at the mid post, high post, and he can get a shot off. And it's going to be hard to double team him there. You had the Phoenix scout, if I remember correctly, this year. You didn't have it with Kevin Durant. Do you think they run the same stuff you prepared for and that you're that you're that they did, or do you think Durant just they almost are I don't know, are they a different team here in the playoffs? No, I think they'll run similar sets, but obviously they're gonna have some sets for Durant, you know, to get him some ISO touches, especially at the elbow. Uh, like I said, where it's gonna be hard to double team him and put him in different looks, you know, put in Durant or you know, Durant and Devin Booker in a pick and roll situation, see how teams are going to play that. I think you'll see some different looks with Durant on the floor. Some people have referred to the Clippers as the modern day science experiment of the NBA. Like we'll see if they can just click it. What is your thought of them as a playoff team? Obviously no Paul George changes them, but where, where do you think they are? And, and, and what, where do they challenge Phoenix the most? I think just their ability to switch, you know, different defenders on Kevin Durant on Devin Booker. You know, they have a lot of length. They have people on the wings that can guard multiple positions. So just their ability to switch a lot of the pick and roll, switch a lot of screening actions. You know, I think that's the, the advantage that the Clippers do have. Um, I think they do fall short without Paul George. He's a big piece for them. He's just another wing defender that can guard and another person that can, you know, score on the offensive end. Um, but I think inside too as well, I think usually the Clippers, what they do in the playoffs is they try to go small. And, you know, Zubats doesn't play as much, you know, end of games. And they, they try to play Batum, you know, at the five. Um, and I think right now with the Suns and Kevin Durant, that that's going to be a, a problem for them. All right. So that gets super interesting for Monty, right? So he either plays Aiton as the center and tries to pound right. them, or he plays along and says, fine, I'm going to have Durant be my center and I'm going to go small. What do you think? The, what do you, th- you think we'll see both? Or what do you think Phoenix does with that? No, I think I think we would see we will see both. Uh, but I think even if they do go small with Batum at the five, I, I still think you can play eight in certain situations. But if Phoenix does decide to go small, you know, I still like that KD matchup better than Batum at the five. We haven't we don't know Denver's opponent. It's either going to be Minnesota, New Orleans, or Oklahoma City as we're recording this. Denver's this funky team. Like I'm a big believer that the first 20 games of the season is a much better indicator of who you're going to be than the last 20 games of the season. And they were really good in the first 20 games of the NBA season. Yet they're almost being dismissed a little bit. What What is your feeling about Denver as a playoff team with Jamal, with Michael Porter Jr.? I mean, that's starting five with Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. 
I know they, they may not have been at full throttle against us in the second to last game of the season, but I saw that five roll out there. I was like, okay, that's pretty real. Um, what is right. your thought on them as a playoff team? No, I think, like you said, you hit it right there. Uh, their starting five is really, really good. They're really, really elite. You know, I think the problem where Denver falls into is the, the non-Jokic minutes. When Jokic is off the floor, you know, who do they play at the five? You know, they experimented a little bit towards the end of the year by playing Aaron Gordon at the five. You know, a couple minutes with him at that lineup. They haven't really done that in the past. Um, I kind of thought Thomas Bryant would be in the rotation a little more. I thought that was a good pickup for him, but he hasn't really played a lot down the stretch. So I think the non-Jokic minutes is like the big question mark for Denver. You know, do they play Aaron Gordon at the five and, and try to go small and, and try to, you know, at least be switchable on defense, that and that aspect. All right, we'll look at the Eastern Conference coming up. I'm not going to make Brian make predict. Coaches aren't making predictions or giving us favorites. He's <laughs> giving us a good matchup on, on how these things play out. It does get super interesting. I mean, the the it will be really in, the one that's so fascinating is are we going to see Memphis, Sacramento in the second round, or are we going to see Golden State, LA in the second round? Like that's just like such an incredible. Obviously, I think the expectations we'll see Denver against either Phoenix or the Clippers. And the idea that either Phoenix right. or the Clippers is out in the first round is pretty wild in the Western Conference because those are probably most people's two favorites if Paul George was healthy, is those two teams. Sure. For sure. No, it's, it's going to be interesting. Excited to see. Excited to All right. Eastern Conference look with Brian Bailey as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We appreciate it very much. Tomorrow, ask LOJ. Plus, we'll dig into the, some of the numbers on the these series and do the analytical breakdown um, of this. I want to start with Philadelphia, not just so much because of their matchup. I do think their matchup with Brooklyn's interesting, but I watched Philly a lot late. I know you had their scout. I'm kind of sold right now. I watched them in the final seven minutes of games run right side of the floor. James Harden coming with a left-hand dribble to the middle and beads kind of got this new thing where sometimes he pops, sometimes he rolls, and then sometimes he stops, which I thought was super interesting because I've not seen a lot of bigs do that. And I don't really know how you guard this, particularly if they're tucking someone in that strong side corner, you can't leave. If they're going open side corner, then Embiid's just playing with all sorts of space. Um, maybe I'm overplaying that. And Giannis and Brooke Lopez in the Eastern Conference Finals or Robert Williams and Al Horford can handle it in the in the semifinals. But tell me where you – do you think Philadelphia is at that level with Boston and and Milwaukee the way I do from watching them late in games? No, I think I think they're one step below, but they are really, really good. Um, just in terms of just looking at Philly, like you talked about it, the M, uh, Harden and B pick and roll, that's really, really difficult to cover. You kind of almost have to choose your poison because um, once M B does get in the pocket, you know, he's brilliant at hitting that mid-range jumper. You don't want to give that up. And obviously, if he's so strong that he can drive by and finish at the rim. Um, then you have to deal with Harden, just, you know, his ability to shoot the basketball. So, just that that dynamic between that pick and roll is going to be a hard cover for anybody who guards them. Do I almost hear you say, like, you actually just have to try to force James Harden to beat you? Like, what a crazy statement, right? Maybe the greatest isolation player in the game for two years. But Embiid, to me, I would guess as a coach, the single game plan right now in the NBA that's the most impossible to build is how do I stop Joel Embiid? No, without a doubt. I mean, James Harden himself, he really looking to pass first. He wants to be a facilitator. That's what he wants to do first. He's not the James Harden role that's, you know, really wants to ISO every possession and try to score 40 points. He really wants to pass first. So you almost got to make him a scorer and make Embiid not get the ball. Um, for, for me, I would love to just 
kind of th- those pick and roll situations with Harden and B just kind of go under and force Harden how many off the dribble threes is Harden going to shoot just to limit that pass to Embiid because once he gets it there, it's a whole other set of problems. Brooklyn will probably do something interesting where they'll probably have Dorian Finney-Smith guard Joel Embiid and have Nick Claxton kind of hover and try to force either Tobias Harris or somebody else. Can And then they'll otherwise they'll be switching probably everything would be my guess. Right. Or if they have Finney Smith and Dinwiddie guarding the ball, they'll prop they might be willing. Can Brooklyn, with their kind of interchangeable parts, cause Philadelphia any problem in that series? Uh, I mean, they, they like you said, Brooklyn has interchange, interchangeable pieces where they can switch a lot of their guys. Um, I just don't think any of their guys are big enough just to stop Embiid, you know, especially on offensive glass. You know, try to keep him off the boards. Um, you definitely have to limit his touches and keep him off the glass if that's what they want to do. All right, let's look at the 4-5 series because this one so fascinates me, and it's really fascinating me too because I think if I'm Milwaukee and I'm looking at Cleveland and New York, I might be wrong. We'll get to this in a second. Just my thought on this is if I'm Milwaukee, I want to see New York so badly because I match up beautifully, whereas Cleveland I feel like actually is a brutal matchup for because they have the two of the best off-the-bounce three-point shooters in the NBA right. for Milwaukee. But let's get to Cleveland and New York. I don't even really know where to start. I find it – I mean, it's incredible, <laughs> right? It's Donovan, New York. It's New York, Donovan. It's Cleveland and their young guns. Like, it's a great – it's it's this to me, of the eight playoff series, this is the one. Um, what's your thoughts initially just on the matchup of how Cleveland and New York battle each other? No, I think, you know, Cleveland's a really good team, obviously – you know, you have defensive anchors and they're two bigs and Allen um, and Mobley. Those, those guys are big and kind of hold the fort down for them. And then you have the two guards in the backcourt and Garland and Mitchell, who are both dynamic and able to score 30 plus, you know, every game. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for New York. Obviously, Brunson was a great pickup for them. You know, I, I think he is an elite and he's proved that he's a starting point guard, you know, all-star caliber point guard in this league. Um, if New York can, you know, put a lot of points on the board, especially with, you know, Emmanuel quickly, um, I think he's going to have to have a big series for New York and as well as Grimes for them to stay in. New York's go-to is that Brunson Randall two-man game. How does Cleveland answer? How does Cleveland defend that? Cause neither Garland nor Donovan's going to like that matchup on Brunson. That's a tough matchup for those two smaller guards, the way how powerful he is. So how do you think Cleveland deals with the Brunson Randall pick and roll? You know, I could see Cleveland, you know, putting a bigger, um, you know, if Coro's healthy, uh, just kind of putting a bigger matchup on Brunson, you know, kind of let him wrestle with those guys and kind of, you know, put Mitchell or Garland on somebody else. Um, I can see them doing that. And I don't know if Randall's healthy yet. I don't know if he'll play in game one. Hopefully, you know, he will and we'll have a good series. But um, that, that's going to be a tough one, you know, for Cleveland. But I, I would put a bigger body on Brunson. Cause well, that gets to my, like, most one of the most interesting this is a side note but one of the most interesting games i watched all year this year i think it was an oklahoma it was a memphis oklahoma city game and it was dylan brooks was guarding shea gilgis alexander doing a pretty good job and lou dort was guarding john Morant. but if you actually looked and froze the screen every time the reason that dylan brooks it was doing such a good job on Shea was because no one was guarding Lou Dort. 
And the reason that Lou Dort was doing such a good job on Jot was that nobody was guarding Dylan Brooks. And so the Isaac Okoro type player in the playoffs, which is that same mix, it's this great defensive player who just doesn't shoot it well enough or doesn't shoot it great. Like he's sub 33% as a three-point shooter, which is hard to decide whether you're going to play him in the playoffs. Like it's so interesting to me to see what happens with those players in the playoffs because they're going to be left wide open and they're going to be dared to take eight threes if they're on the court. Yeah, the, those those guys are gonna you're gonna sh- the teams are gonna shift off those guys and force them to beat them. You know, any any guy any offensive player that is lead, you want to kind of show them bodies early. You know, so they don't get going and they get off the ball early and force those guys to make as many decisions as possible. So you know, if those guys do play. You'll see the ball finding them, you know, more often than the team really wants them to have the ball. Does can Atlanta's offense, which since Quinn has taken over, is number two in the NBA, I believe, um, can it cause Boston any problems? Uh, I think for Atlanta, they're going to have to play fast. That's going to be their biggest thing. You know, if they can play fast and get out in transition, you know, maybe they can put some pressure on Boston, but. You know, they can't play in the half court. Boston's defense is really, really good in the half court. Like I said, with other teams, they can switch a lot of pick and rolls. Um, they got guys with the ability to keep the ball in front, and they, they're they big. And then offensively, you know, they have elite offensive talent in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They can score in different ways. Let's look ahead in the East because, honestly, the second round's pretty great if it goes as scripted. What is your thoughts on Cleveland, Milwaukee? How much can Donovan and Darius Garland cause Milwaukee some problems? Yeah, I think they can cause, you know, Milwaukee a lot of problems because Milwaukee is a team that, you know, typically with Brooke Lopez in the game plays deep drop coverage and he kind of just protects the rim. And Donovan Mitchell and uh, Darius Garland's ability to shoot off the dribble threes will give them problems. They're going to have to adjust. I don't think they want to live with them just shooting you know, off the dribble threes in the playoffs, those guys both are capable of getting really hot and hitting those shots. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, if they you know, switch their lineup, you know, change their rotation, you know, put Brooke Lopez in a different coverage. I don't see him really coming up and hedging or blitzing. Um, so that's going to be an interesting thing because those guys really can shoot off the dribble. And there's only one Drew Holiday. He can't guard them both. Yes. Right? Like they're – So, they're I mean really- – <laughs> I mean, he's got to be as good on-ball see. defender as there is in the league, right? On like, no, he he's really elite, you know, at navigating and getting through screens. And what's really underrated, people don't know about him, is he's really really strong. So um, he's not a guy that just gets bullied in the paint. All right, uh, give me just your thoughts on Boston and Philly. We touched on it for a second that you think Boston's probably still a notch above. But if that series happens, what's your quick thought there? Uh, if that series happens, I, I think. I'm give Boston the slight edge still. Obviously, you know, just from their playoff experience and making a deep run last year and, and those guys coming back, kind of just kind of looking to get back to where they were. So um, Jason Tatum is taking a step up. You know, Jalen Brown is really, really elite at what he does. Um, hopefully for them, Robert Williams can stay healthy, just gives them another guy out there who can rebound, is able to switch on defense. All right. Well, Brian, these have been great. I won't make you make a pick. The NBA would like Phoenix and Golden State in the conference finals so we can have Kevin Durant versus Steph Curry with probably Giannis versus Tatum and then and we can just then we can go either, you know, Golden State Milwaukee, we can go Golden State Boston again, we can do they probably don't need their Phoenix Milwaukee rematch again. Who knows how it all plays out, but uh it should be great. Super interesting to see how it's all played out and appreciate uh 
appreciate your time and your insight on this with having had a bunch of those scouts and prepared for those teams. It's a, it's great gift for our listeners to be able to hear that. So uh, thank you. And thank you for your time throughout the season. And uh, thanks for being a good friend. Appreciate it. Thanks Bob. Have a good one. Thank you.